0: Welcome to the Avail Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to help you take your leadership to the next level. I'm Virgil Sierra, your Avail Media host, and today we're going to be talking with Edward Graham, the grandson of the late Billy Graham, who currently serves as assistant to the vice president, overseeing programs and government relations at Samaritan's Purse. We interviewed Edward for our fall 2020 issue of the Avail Journal, but we wanted to share the audio with our listeners. We trust this will be a rewarding listener. So let's get started. Welcome, everybody, for another opportunity to connect in the Avail Journal and Avail Magazine. We have the blessing and privilege uh, to speak with Edward Graham. And on this opportunity, uh, we are looking forward to learning more, uh, hearing more from his heart, and how the Lord has led him into where he's currently at. Um, Edward, thank you for your time. Uh, Thank you for. you're, you know, being able to share a little bit about your journey with us here at Avail. And I'd like to start off with this first question. Um, you have a successful 16-year career in the 75th Ranger Regiment and various special operation commands. Uh, what motivated you to make the decision to transition into the Christian nonprofit world of Samaritan's Purse at this point in your career and life?
1: Um, Well, that's a great question, and I appreciate this opportunity to share that portion of the Lord's story. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not want to leave the military. I loved the career that the Lord had called me to and brought me to. I loved being a member of the 75th, the family I have there, the camaraderie, the men I served with, the caliber of men. Um, It was an incredible place to be, and I had been having fun. Even with uh, the eight combat deployments and and the tempo that we had there, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I was a cadet at West Point. I was born on September 11th, 1979, but I was a cadet at West Point when the the towers uh, were hit, when the Pentagon was hit, when the plane crashed in Pennsylvania. And all I ever wanted to do was to go out and be a tool and vessel that God used against evil. And I was, I was right at the forefront of that. And I was in the unit that got to do something about it. Um, and, you know, as my career went on and I had opportunities to serve at higher levels, I wanted what was next. I wanted to come, but out of nowhere, and I think it was after my grandfather passed away, um, I was looking at my father, we were at the Rotunda in, in D.C. and we just had a service there with my grandfather's casket, and we went downstairs, and I watched the grandkids jumping on my dad, and I, dad just looked tired, and not just tired because his dad had passed. He looked tired because of, um, I think, just years of service, and maybe uncertainty of the unknown what was coming, but I thought to myself, maybe maybe I can do something to help him, because year, years before that, I was actually up here in Alaska, and I was stuck in a plane with dad, and I was a member of the 75th. I was a battalion XO at that time. And dad had asked me, Edward, are you tired of combat and going over? And I said, no. And he goes, well, Edward, I could use your help at Samaritan's Purse. Would you be willing to come? And, uh, I said, no, real quick, not without thinking. I just said, no, dad. Mm -hmm. And I got kind of quiet and staring at the window. And, um, I realized that maybe it was a little hurtful. Plus, I was mad. I was like, "Dad has me trapped here in a plane. In a pilot, so it's not dad's pilot. So, you know, he's, I'm flying up in the cockpit with him. I can't get anywhere. I can't escape him." And I just looked down. I was like, "Dad, I'll pray about it, but I don't feel called to come to Samaritan Spurs." And uh, but a few years later, after my grandfather passed, I was. Dad never asked me again, um, but his proxies did. His uh, <laughs> friends did, and board members approached me. Um, but I, after a few years, I've been an aide for the commander special operations U.S. Army Special Operations, the Canadian general. I was his executive assistant. And um, he was awesome. Very humble guy. Let me see and kind of lift the umbrella up for me to see behind it and hmm. those decisions. And I just, when he deployed, I mean, when he retired, I asked myself, is that me in 15 years? And the answer for the first time in my life was no. And I hmm. hurt and I struggle with that. So I uh, started praying, and I was, God sent kind of my uh, equivalent of a godfather. His name is Dick Furman, Dr. Dick Furman. He's a board member and one of the original founders of World Medical Mission, the portion of Samaritan's Purse. He wanted to talk, and uh, he, again, floated the idea of me coming to Samaritan's Purse to help Dad in a transition plan. And uh, I, at the end of that meeting, I committed to come if something happened to Dad. And I realized that's not what I was supposed to commit to. Hmm. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was supposed to commit to more. And, uh, I called dad and was like, let's finish that Alaska conversation. And after talking, dad was like, well, why don't you, um, why don't you wait till retirement? And that made my wife happy because she loved the army she's an army brat. Her old family was in special operations with me and, uh, she didn't want to leave. I still couldn't sleep. And my brother, Roy, I was talking with him. He works for the Billy Graham Association. And he told me, "Goes ever the disciples left their nets in the water. And uh, they followed Jesus. And so I called dad and I was like, dad, retirement will figure itself out. I'm coming. So I got out 16 years, four years shy of retirement. And it doesn't mean I don't miss it. It doesn't mean I don't love what I did. um, But I have no regrets. Um but it, it still hurts. You know, I still look at my friends getting hurt overseas or guys still deploying because uh, we're one of the few units still going over there.
0: And, um, but I know where I'm supposed to be. So. Wow. That's great. Um, it, it, Obviously this was, this was uh, a journey of years, right? This was not just, Hey, let me take a couple nights. <laughs> this was a journey of, of years. Yeah. And, and, uh, and as you said, just a, yeah. not an easy decision. And, you know, I think, I think um, there's some people who maybe be able to relate to that, right? When you think you have a plan and you kind of feel like this is what I think it should be, but then just sometimes the Holy Spirit just kind of impresses it on your heart. But like you said, I can't sleep. <laughs> this is, God's calling me to something more, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's burning in you.
1: And you uh, you're wrestling. I was wrestling with what I knew God was wanting. Because I knew God had placed me in the military. I knew yeah. that's where he wanted me. And then why would He take me right at right everything I've been working for, everything that I've been striving for, is a God taking that away? And I realized, yeah, that's what I've been working for. But God had a different plan all along. And I never wanted to be a part of the ministry, to be honest, person I just didn't want, I didn't, I didn't feel called to that. Um, and um, but just like that, God changes that and your desires of your heart and your passion. It doesn't mean my wife didn't start. We did it together. We made this decision together, but doesn't mean we were happy about it. Yeah. Um, we left a family and people we loved um, to come to Samaritan's first. And everyone probably was like, oh, that's real hard, Edward. You know, you think I've had so many people come up to my wife and go, oh, you must be excited. He's no longer deploying or going over. And no. But yeah, wow. of course, I'm glad I can be around my kids maybe more. Um, but I'm still extremely busy. I'm still gone a lot. But, um, that's what we loved. And I was—I felt built for, for the military, my mindset, how I am. But I think God has used all that shape to prepare me. I don't know what's coming. I don't know out there. I don't know what challenges um, the church's country going to have. But everything God's put me for, to be honest, I'm kind of scared about what's coming. <laughs> um, I don't think God gave me those experiences in combat. For smooth sailing, um, yeah. but I'm here and I, I love the opportunity to serve my father.
0: That's honorable, Edward. Just just kind of hearing that story, I think sometimes the Lord calls us to, um, like in the Book of Genesis, you know, He calls Abraham to put Isaac on the altar. Sometimes God calls us to sacrifice things that are meaningful to us. We don't understand it in the moment, but uh, in the end, God is sovereign and. And um, I want to transition here. You know, this issue of a veil. we're focusing in on mental health. You served eight tours in Afghanistan and Iraq and other countries that are listed as classified. As you mentioned, you saw combat on the front lines. Coming home from what you've seen and adjusting to civilian and family life is full of all kinds of challenges. How have you managed to transition from the realities of war where you saw death firsthand to working at Samaritan's Purse, an organization that provides life saving help to those who are suffering?
1: Yeah, the, um, you know, I, that's a great question. As I think over it, I'm looking over it. I never struggled with PTSD, and I believe PTSD to be very real, um, but we hear a lot about it in the military and those who have served, you know. It's not like I was sitting there on a typewriter job, computer peer job. I was, you know, direct action my whole career. Um, out pulling triggers with the guys, leading men that were the trigger pullers. And uh, mm. I saw things and I was a part of things that were horrible. Um, I lost men that I loved, guys that I just thought the world of, uh, friends. Um, but I didn't struggle with that. And I think the reason being, yes, I was raised in a strong Christian home loving parents. Um, but my dad and mother challenged me. They also set up the ability for me to fail. I learned that it's okay to fail. I learned to take risks as kid. Um, I also learned, I grew up hunting and I grew up in the outdoors and, you know, at an early age I saw, you know, death at least at my hands because I hunted. Um, So I think my body and my mind and because of scripture and reading, I was prepared for it. But the most important thing I tell people is I learned at a young age, we were never meant to be alone. We were not designed or created to be alone, nor have I ever been alone. God has been with me and walked with me. And those times that I thought I was, you know, Lord, where are you? Yeah, he was carrying me. But I learned a dirty word in the military. It's called surrender. We're, we're told never to surrender. And that, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give that up and give it to the Lord mm-hmm. and know that there's things bigger in life that we, more than we could handle. We could never handle it. If we were walking alone, uh, the things we saw, the things we were part of, but I learned to surrender that and to give it to the Lord and, and to commit that to him, put it at his feet, put it at the cross and say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I accept my faith that you're in charge and you're sovereign and I'm going to keep walking. And that's what I did. I just kept walking, um, whether it be on patrol, whether it be on the mission, nothing harder than when you watch uh, a body of one of your guys flying away, but you're still on mission. He's been killed. He's flying back in a helicopter, but you still have a mission to do. You still have a target to go finish. And he's still got to prosecute. Nothing worse when you're watching a, a guy that you've trained with and has worked under you for your, get his leg blown off right in front of you. Mm-hmm. You bandage it up, you get them stable, you casavac them, and then you continue mission, you still have bad guys to take care of. And, uh, that's a mentality that some people maybe can't do a process, but I don't care if it's through church ministry, being a pastor, whether it's just selling insurance. Um, whether you're a car salesman, we're going to go things through life. If, you're, if you follow the Lord and you love the Lord and you serve him, we were never promised a smooth highway. Never. Scripture never promises that. matter of fact, we know Satan, if you're in the center of God's will, he's coming after you. He's going to attack. Where does your hope come from? Mine comes from the Lord. I'll look unto the hills, just as Scripture says. But I learn by faith, except by faith, I entrust that to God, and I hand it over to him. Those things that I cannot control are those things I can't understand. And I think that's what's helped me with my mental health, my spiritual well-being, as I learned to surrender.
0: Wow. Um, I think what you're saying is so true, and I think, um, I think it takes, in part, some spiritual maturity to, you know, to understand this. These things, especially especially in life, you know, you like you said, you transition kind of from being on the front lines, you know, of combat, you know, um, and and everybody's not going to be in the same uh, situation per se. But you're right; everybody will face yeah. certain challenges. There's certain things that are going to challenge their faith, uh, things that are going to make make you make you feel get filled with doubt, even fear sometimes. Um, and so what you're saying, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people need to hear this, this message, um, this, this whole issue of, of, Man, it's not, it's not my
1: words. It's not my words. I mean, i look at it. You think of James four, eight, mm-hmm. draw near to God. And he'll draw he'll near, near to you. God. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, that's what, if I'm not seeking the Lord, if I'm not reading his word and scripture during combat, if I wasn't actively, you know, God seeks us. I mean, he sent his son after us. But I have to draw near, I have to read and study his word, um, you know, that I may understand him. It's also uh, Psalms 119, you know, verse 11, your word I've hidden in my heart, that I'm going sin against you. It's not that I'm going to go, yeah, we're going to sin, we're sinners, but I hide it in my heart because that's where the strength comes from. That's what I rely on. We train so hard in, in special operations in the military. We train over and over on standard operating procedures, what to do, react to contact, so when a first bullet flies, you respond, you automatically respond. You don't think, well, what's next? Well, I, I'm thinking immediately about, you know, my body, that, that bullet fires, it just responds to it. Well, it's the same way with scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to hide that in my heart. So when those arrows start flying, I respond accordingly into the, in the God's word, into his plan in my life. So again, it's not my words, it's what the Bible says.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, kind of on the same line here, um, Edward, of, of just mental health. Uh, for 10 years, I worked as an occupational therapist and I ran mental health groups as well. And, and um, we understand that mental health is important for everybody. However, leaders play an important role in safeguarding the mental health of the people in the workplace. Um, that's one thing for leaders to protect the mental health of others. But, but what about their own mental health? You know, because without good mental health, leaders can unknowingly negatively impact the people around them. You've already mentioned a few things, um, you know, like just reading God's word and holding on to that. Um, is there anything else that you do regularly to maintain your own mental health and your spiritual well-being? Uh, again, you mentioned, you know, reading the word of God and hanging on to his promises. Is there anything else that's help, been helpful for you?
1: No, I think the biggest thing, too, is in front of your your people that you lead, it's okay to be vulnerable Um, and you're vulnerable by being honest with them and being upfront. And my guys knew if I was uncomfortable or afraid like, man, I don't want this, this part scares me, but we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to do it to to mitigate the risk. Um, But they should know, you know, that I'm willing to go with them and I'll lead them through the storm, but it doesn't mean I'm living a lie that I'm not afraid and I'm not scared. But for my own thing as a leader, like, you got to take time to step back. You got to take time to recover and you got to be the first one that says, I need help. And, um, you know, mental health wise, I never have really gotten to the point where I need to say, I need help. I need professional help. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I led example by going to church, being close with the pastor or being honest with the preacher and the pastor or with the chaplain that I had in my unit. Um, you know, I, I prayed for good chaplains in my units and for the most part, I always got some and you empower them to go out to do their job at Samaritan's Purse. We have a, we have a ministry care team, um, you know, a pastoral care team that goes, we're not the church at Samaritan's Purse. And we always want our staff to be involved in a church, um, a church where they're choosing they feel called to, and, and to go to their pastor and their elders, uh, first, but we have the ability, especially for those serving overseas and in countries where they not, might not be of a church, that they can rely on to fall back on and uh, to use them to, to care for them in prayer. I'm a firm believer in the power of prayer. I would not be here today if we did not have yeah. prayer in our lives, the ability to communicate with our Lord and Savior. Um, but that's what we have a, str- a strong prayer network at Samaritan's Purse for our staff here in the U.S., but especially those serving overseas, they have the ability to come back to and as a leader. I, I use that same, I want them to see me using that same network, that if, I if we're going to provide that to them, we're using it as well. So I give up my family requests and my personal uh, desires or fears or concerns. I commit those so other people know this is what Edward's praying for. Uh, this is what Franklin's praying for. This is what's on his heart. And uh, we want that staff using that same network, that same prayer, um, you know, support for them. Um, because everything we do at Samaritan's Purse, we bathe in prayer. We commit it to the Lord. And again, it goes back to that surrender piece. Um, Bob Pierce, our founder of Samaritan's Purse, he always said, um, if we're going to play and plan so big and so bold, it will surely fail if it, the Lord doesn't step in. It's called, he called it God room. Um, so nothing, if, if, if we're starting off small and going in, well, You know, who's the glory and the credit going to go to? Well, it's easy for it to go to man when it's simple. When miracles happen, that's when you know God stepped in. And we want to be part of the miracle of Samaritan's Purse. So to do that, we need strong mental health, people knowing to commit it to the Lord in prayer. um, And then it's not man. It's all God.
0: That's so good. I'm hearing... I'm hearing surrender, I'm hearing God's word, I'm hearing bathe in prayer, and I'm also hearing just key people in your life, key people that you can have, speak to and open up to. Um, Edward, you've grown up in a family with a rich legacy that focuses on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone and everywhere, beginning with your father, uh, your grandfather, Billy Graham, your father now, Franklin Graham, um, the current president of Samaritan's Purse, um, Describe the influence that legacy has had on your life and what you're doing now and what you envision in the future to continue it.
1: Yeah. As far as legacy, in my family, um, you know, there'll never be another Billy Graham, but God will call someone else and it probably not going to have the last name Graham, <laughs> but I don't know what evangelism looks like in the future. It'll probably be different. We'll probably never gather in the large stadiums like we did before um i don't know but god's in control of that but the one thing my god or that my grandfather sorry gave me or taught me was he didn't know all the answers and he read scripture all the time my brother roy tells a story where he watched my grandfather come into the kitchen one time and there's a bible open and he was opening he loved root beer he opened up a root beer and um read a little bit of scripture and then walked back out in the hallway and read another Bible that was open there. And my brother, Roy called him. Up and goes, daddy, Bill, what possibly could you gotten in that 10 seconds? And he's like, I sip on the word all day long. And um, <laughs> that resonated with my brother and I um, all day long sip on the word. Even this man, this man who studied his whole life and probably knows it front to back, he sips on it all day long. But what my grandfather taught me was he accepted by faith that every bit of the Bible is true. Every last word of it is true. He may not understand it all. He may continue to study. He may sip on it all day long, but he accepts by faith it to be true. And that's what I've done in my own life. I don't. It goes back to that surrender that I was telling you about. I don't understand everything in this world. I don't understand everything in Scripture, and I read it, and I try to understand it, but it's true, every last word of it. And for my father's legacy, what he's taught me is that my dad was always willing to go to love on those that no one else would love or might walk past or might not have the resources to go and, and to care for. And uh, Samaritan's Purse, just in the name the Good Samaritan, and the story of that you read in Scripture where people you would expect who would have stopped and surely would have said something to the beaten man on the side of the road and cared when they walked past them. But it was the person that you least expect or didn't have the resources. he stopped. He met the immediate need, and then he provided the long-term care. And for us here at Samaritan, yeah, we'll meet the medical need. Dad met the medical need of medical, or med- you know, food, or water. But the everlasting hope of Jesus Christ, that's caring for the long-term. And, uh, and that's giving hope for eternity. And that's the legacy my dad's given me. So I look at my father and my grandfather, you know, and the, the different ways God has used them um, in the ministry and sharing gospel around the world, I don't know what has in store for me. Um, I'm just fortunate to be a part of it and that God has called me that. I, um, You know, I'm not a preacher. I don't think i ever will be. Um, I don't have that type of education or study or background, and I don't feel comfortable in the pulpit. Um, but I feel comfortable in the same areas my dad did, and that's the gutters and the ditches of the world. Um, I'm willing and comfortable in places that others might not go. And I want to go around the world and to share the hope of Jesus Christ to people, all tongues and tribes. That's what excited me. I came to Samaritan's Purse because of the gospel. I want to share the gospel. I didn't come to Samaritan's Purse to do good works, to smile, uh, to have people smile, to pass out even gifts. Um, I came because I want to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly every aspect of Samaritan's Purse. That's what it does. And those are legacies that my family was a part of. Um, and how God used them. I'm just fortunate and blessed to see just a tiny bit of it.
0: That's so good. What a what a rich legacy. You know, as you were talking, a couple of things stood out to me. Um, um, I think a lot of people need to hear that God's calling on our lives is unique. And, and, I, and I really appreciate that because like you said, uh, you know, what God's called you to specifically might not look exactly to how your grandfather did it or it might not look exactly to how your father did it, but, but God is sovereign and he is the giver of the gifts and he is the one who, you know, leads us, you know, on our destiny. And, and, and as long as uh, what I'm hearing from you, as long as this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the center of what you're doing, and you're reaching people with the hope of Jesus, uh, you're, you're going to fulfill that mission. That's that's awesome. And you know, by the way, I don't know how much of, I don't know if you're much of a social media kind of guy, but I think there might be a hashtag, <laughs> hashtag sip on the word or something like that. <laughs> That could work. It could be a good hashtag for, for Samaritan's Purse. Uh, <laughs> sip, on G- sip on Jesus. I never sip did social way.
1: media in my life until I came to Samaritan's Purse. So I didn't really know what a hashtag. We did it because that's how we targeted bad people overseas. That's my extent of social media. I just started and I'm pretty bad at it. So maybe I'll take your hashtag comment and try to run with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. That, that's unique. Um, all right. So let, let's talk a little bit. Let's transition, talk a little bit about uh, workplace culture. Um, Work culture has been hailed as as the driving force for organizations to become more innovative, technology-driven, employee-focused, and inclusive. The common thread is the need for organizations to have more open and inviting cultures that encourage employees to reach their full potential. How do you make best use of your experience in leadership development to create the culture at Samaritan's Purse?
1: Yeah. Um, great question. To be honest, I did not think this is uh, where we'd go in any interview, especially in a, in a Christian magazine. But I, I, I'm i a student of leadership, have been my whole career, and went to schools and spent months studying culture and organizational culture. And what happens when um, an organization is not adaptive and can't change and, uh, you know, they, they crumble or they, they fail to exist? And you see business in the business world where Companies, you know, fall apart because, you know, it. the outside environment changed and they didn't change along with it. So I've been looking at Samaritan's Purse and, and why, you know, when I came here, what is why has God blessed Samaritan's Purse? And so as far as a culture and what I've seen so far at Samaritan's Purse, we just talked about it before. It's about the gospel being front and center. Our foundation is, is scripture-based. Yeah. And what God has called the ministry to do, that part will never change. The, the the gospel will be front and center in all that we do. I will go and I will be unashamed of the gospel. And if I ever am or ever compromise that, may God remove me and replace me with a leader uh, in Samaritan's Purse. I will always hold true to that. So we will be unwavering or unbreaking. Now, some people say, "Well, that's not good. You won't be able to change for the environment." I'm a huge fan of servant leadership, and in the military, I also studied something called mission command. Mission command is all about giving a task and purpose, an end state, and by not telling the person how to do there or how to get there, you trust them. They've been put in a position of leadership because you trust them. People at Samaritan's Purse have my trust and empower them to go out there and do it. But we talked about leadership and, and uh, we talked about servant leadership. No better example of servant leadership than Jesus Christ. Nowhere are you going to find a more humble and more serving leader than Jesus. So that's who I modeled even in my military career as we look, find those disciples that God entrusted and God empowered. That's how he spread the church. That's how, that's how the church was born, as he empowered the disciples to go out and share the the word to share the story of jesus christ he he told them he commissioned them to go out and, and uh necessarily tell them how to do it he gave them the bible you know, he gave them the word and he they gave us the bible eventually um but it's the same kind of manual there's no necessarily uh this is how you do it step one step two step three step you know and so on it's this is the gospel this is what right looks like. These are some, you know, left and right limits. Now I'll go and execute. And that's what I want to do at Samaritan's so Purse. And I'm all about technology. I'm not good at it, but I'm all about it. I've seen what it can do in combat and how it empowers us. But I, I want to use technology. I want to be innovative. I want, because technology is how you can spread the gospel. My grandfather used technology at the time with TV and radio, way ahead of his time. And he used it to, to share the gospel around the world. My dad did that with internet evangelism. More people have heard uh, the name of Jesus Christ than my grandfather did through stadiums mm. and uh, through TV, but through the internet and how dad's used the internet. Now he's been using social media. Um, Greta Ben Sestrin is actually the one that talked to dad about your, your fool for not using social media. You can talk to a million people, uh, you know, before you show up at work and between breakfast and showing up to work. And dad thought she was crazy. Um, but that's technology. How do you, how do you stay comfortable in that environment and use it and, and to share the gospel? There'll be, I don't know what technology down the road, um, but I don't want to miss it uh, or be afraid of it. Um, not, not to use it. Um, but that's where I encourage our staff. There's, I can tell you right now, I am not the smartest person at Samaritan's person. The reason I know that is because I was pretty near the bottom of my class at West Point. Um, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm really bad at. And dad has surrounded himself with talent, um, for areas where he is weak. That's what I will continue to do is go out and find talent, bring them in. Hey, I don't understand this part. What what can you do for me? And we're doing that with
0: aviation, we're doing that in IT. Edward, the world is full of ongoing disasters. Uh, it seems like there's a new crisis every day. Um, Samaritan's Purse goes to the difficult, remote places in the world, difficult to reach in remote, remote places in the world, often uh, where it's not only difficult to work, but it's also dangerous. It's, it's, there's a danger factor. Um, how do you evaluate the service opportunities that arise? Uh, how do you balance the safety of your staff and volunteers and select the needs to which you and the Samaritan's Purse team respond to?
1: Now, and that's a that's a good question, not too. um there's parts of the world we'd love to serve him um and we can't wait to get there, but is it right to put our staff in those uh conditions or those places? Dad always had a saying, even when I was a kid, uh, I can remember him saying he would never send anybody where, where he wouldn't go himself. Well, as Dad's become more well known um that's kind of challenging to do. Um, Dad necessarily can't go to certain places uh, that his staff can. But as Samaritan's Purse has grown over the years, we've had to adapt and change to the the climate, the security climate, especially with the rise of terrorism and militant Islam. That makes travel to certain places extremely difficult. Um, But we have created a strong security team um, that monitors uh, the situations around the world um, gives our staff and our VPs recommendations. So we operation Christmas child or where our international projects may serve, uh, especially in places in Africa or in the middle East. Um, they have, and that vice president of security is part of that decision-making process about where we go. But at the end of the day, dad's the final voice. And if dad is comfortable and feels confident that we're able to go and share the gospel, um, Or we have the ability to support the local church, whether it be an underground church, even, dad will want to find a way. And then sometimes, if we feel that just we will put US or Canadian or Australians or British or UK, wherever we have affiliate offices at risk by putting them in there, he will find another way, whether supporting a church partner uh, to get in there and to do the work. Um, cause we, again, we're not going there just to, yes, we want to feed people. We want to meet that immediate need of those that are hungry and starving, but we want to do it and share the gospel and we want to prop the church up and we want to be through the church because when we leave, Samaritan's will leave, but the church is going to be there. Is it going to be more well-placed, more well-established, but also secure that we didn't put that church at risk um, like a a safety risk. Now we want them to take risks. We want them to get outside their boundaries and expand the church, but they have to live there. And so we don't want to set them up for failure either. Um, but dad is all about being going to, I can remember as a kid, uh, in the eighties, dad going to Beirut, um, and the civil war going on there, um, places in Africa and Angola, when the war was going on there and dad was used to being shelled or shot at. Um, that's his comfort level. We have many in our staff that are comfortable and okay with that, um, but we don't ever, you know, one of our most precious resources God has entrusted us with, and as I've seen it, is the talent that we have at Samaritan's Purse. Um, I never want to jeopardize that. But because of my experience, and I talked to you about mission command, um, for me in the military, the mission came first. The mission always comes first. Um, but I don't want to uh, to be careless. Are frivolous with the resources God's entrusted us with. So, you know, find ways to go out there and safely work, but mitigate it. And God has, again, gives us incredible resources to do that. We have some of our own aircraft scattered around the world. Um, and here in the U.S. that allow us to get into dangerous areas quickly and uh, get aid in and then get out, uh, and sometimes somewhat undetected. And then God's, again, give us incredible church partners, even in, in places you wouldn't think that are bold pastors that are bold mm. and that your dad wants to come alongside and work so yeah i hope that answers that question
0: yeah it sounds like uh there are just some very key uh god-ordained um partnerships that samaritan's purse has been able to develop throughout the years that's that's amazing um i know you were kind of alluding to it r- uh, right now as you were talking Uh, the mission of Samaritan's Purse is to follow the example of Jesus Christ by helping those in need and by proclaiming the hope of the gospel. Um, You you alluded to it. You talked about a little bit as far as these uh, hostile countries where it's, where it's maybe dangerous to, to proclaim the gospel. Is there anything else that you guys um, consider or, or do when you have those situations?
1: Yeah, there's, um, you know, there, there's certain countries we're working. I, I can't tell you because um, we don't want to put our partners there at risk. Um, but God knows the need and God knows the areas where we can serve and we can make a difference uh, to be able to, and to go in there and to, and to partner with the church. Um, so he, he finds ways to get resources. Um, you know, we're in countries that even the American government, Um, and trust me from my former life, I know some areas where we are, (laughs) where we are. Um, God gives us the ability to get in, um, you know, God's in charge and he's running this thing. Like how in the world did you make that government connection or how did, um, you make that church connection behind a curtain, an iron curtain? Like, how did that happen? Well, that God made that happen. God allowed that happen. And examples go all the way back even to my grandfather when he went behind the, the, the Iron Curtain, the Iron Curtain of Russia, and had opportunities to speak in close countries, and the communist government, for some reason, allowed him to do it. Or there was a miscommunication and where he was approved to speak and where he was not, and yet he was given a microphone, and platform, and thousands heard the gospel. That's God in charge and allowing mm. things to happen. That's where you're praying, God, take me, I'll go. Wherever you sent, you had to be willing to go. And people always praise for open doors. Um, I've always kind of prayed different. Like, Lord, shut that door in my face, because I'm going to be so aggressive. I'm going to try to kick that door down. I have to know it's painfully obvious. Like, nope. Oh, where do I go from here? Well, it's probably where I'm scared to go. That's why I came to Samaritan's Purse. I was comfortable in the army. Um, combat didn't didn't scare me. Serving in Samaritan's Purse scared me. Serving and administering for my father scared me. That's where I'm going. I've always been that way. So here at Samaritan's Purse, personally, I'm going to look for those areas and opportunities that scare. Why are they? If they scare me, that means no one else is probably going. And those are the people that we're supposed to serve. That's where we're going to go because no one else is going there. And some people just don't have those resources. Like I said, God has entrusted us with cargo planes that allow us to get in a lot of these dangerous areas. Um, and, uh, we've gotten partnerships over the years, even like with the Kurds in Iraq, since we had a hospital there, we were able to serve and treat little kids that were mangled by ISIS. Mm. And then our doctors walked one tent over and under Kurdish guard were ISIS fighters in the next tent. And we went and treated the same fighters that just did that to that little girl Mm. that just blew up that little girl. Now you're loving and sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. And they'd ask you, why are you there? And those are areas and countries that no one else gets to serve in. Wow! And we had those opportunities. So again, I think it's just God has given us a resource sometimes, like a hospital or a clinic, and we don't know why we have it. And then you see that area of the world that you'd be scared to go to. And God, we can't go there. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, God just starts putting a closing door, like, we'll go here. And all of a sudden, we're like, well, we can't go there. I think God's pointing us here. And, uh, so again, there's certain country I just can't talk about, but, um, we're there. I promise wow. you, we're probably there. Um, and we're serving in a way that is able to amplify and share the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: That's so good. Thank you for sharing that, Edward. I think, uh, it's so encouraging for us to hear the, the true work and ministry Uh, that Samaritan's Purse is doing in so many parts of the world that we can't even imagine. Um, as, as we're kind of rounding up this, this uh, conversation you've been working for with Samaritan's Purse for a little over a year now. Can you describe a story, maybe a story in which you've been involved that epitomizes the vision and values of Samaritan's Purse?
1: Yeah. Um, this, this story might surprise you. Um, Cause it's a recent one and, and you know, I move, I'd just gotten back from uh, Africa Bangladesh and literally the, like that week, the country closes down and COVID hits and we start looking the rises. And I learned something early on at West Point. I was a horrible student, math student, but I did take some engineering classes. I had the minor in it, but I appreciate a good bell curve and a graph and I know what it means. And I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm looking at Italy, and I knew Italy was going to be the epicenter of the world. Hmm. And so I called dad. Yeah, th- dad was at a training event, um, actually down in Georgia, and he was out of the office. But I've been on the phone talking with him, along with Kenny Isaacs, about where the epicenters in the world is going to be, and it's Italy. And dad's like, well, that's a Western country with a modern health system. What good could our hospital possibly do there? Wow. And, um, but he said we could reach out. And so we reached out to Cremona, Italy, um, where it was, they were really getting crushed in Northern Italy and Lomba they said, yes, please come. No one in that hospital and their ICU had survived COVID. If they were put in the ICU, they had died. You know, dad gives us the approval to go to Italy. We go there and, uh, these doctors and nurses in the ICU have watched everyone coming in dying if they were committed to the ICU. It was very Kandart. We show up, and within a week of being set up in our hospital, we start seeing patients coming into our ICU and living and being discharged. It's the first time in Cremona, at that hospital, that they've been able to discharge patients from the ICU. Wow. We also saw decisions for Christ. This is a very heavy Catholic country. Um, but we're able to watch people making decisions, Christ. And like, why are you here? Well, a weeks going by. Where's the center of the world moving to? It's New York City. And it's going to be New York City. And I called Dad and I am like, Dad, we, got, we don't want to be sitting on another. We had one more hospital. We had two that we could deploy. Dad, New York needs our help. Um, Dad was like, Edward, we absolutely can't even make a difference in New York
0: it has some of the
1: best hospitals in the world, large amounts of hospitals. What possibly good could we do in New York City? And I'm like, well, Dad, we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And for a state that was celebrating abortion just a a year ago, where they lit up the bridge in celebration of the death of babies, we can stand on a platform that we at Samaritan's Purse, we care for all life. Old, young. Life is precious. Mm. by God and so dad agreed let's let's reach out and we found ourselves in Central Park Central Park New York that's God putting us there that's (laughs) not us that's not man allowing happen that's not dad wanting to go there God put us in Central Park New York to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and we treated all patients all ages Mm. all sex all beliefs sexual orientation, no matter what the press said, it's all lies. We treated everybody because we want to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And God put us in in Italy and in New York City. He placed us there with a capability that he's been training us up for years An infectious disease, Ebola. We had cut our teeth with Ebola, truly infectious disease. Mm -hmm. And we learned how to care and treat for patients and protect our staff. We were able to prevent Infections of a crazy infectious disease of Ebola and, the, and now um, COVID because of what we learned. And God gave us these aircraft to be able to fly. Nothing was flying to Italy. Nothing. There's no way to get it over there. They shut Europe down. But because we had that aircraft, that cargo plane, we could get our own hospital there. This is years in the making of God has used other opportunities and other locations and other needs to shape the SP even in Western countries with great medical care could serve and be an instrument for the gospel. And that's a great example of how God has used Samaritan's Purse um, for us to be available when called and to go wherever he points us. And uh, all of that is God ordained. Nothing my dad has ever done. Um, just God's entrusted us with incredibly talented staff, partners, doctors, nurses that want to come alongside of us. That's a team God put together. No man could do that, and I love it.
0: That's amazing. I love that story. I think it's a true testament to what the Lord um, has done, is doing, and will continue to do through Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Can I just say, Edward, uh, on behalf of our Avail team, uh, we are so honored that you would take some time with us. We are so proud of what uh, you and the Samaritan's Purse uh, team is doing throughout the world. We're 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 thankful to the Lord for, for you and for the example. Thank you for living out the gospel. Thank you for leading well. Uh, thank you for caring for lives of people throughout the nations of this world. Uh, thank you for being bold and courageous to go maybe where others haven't gone. Uh, truly, uh, from from the from the position of you know as the church as Christians, but also from the position as as leaders who appreciate. Uh, organizations and ministries that are truly leading the way. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I don't know, uh, Edward, if there's any any final comments you want to share uh, with us to, to close off this interview.
1: No, I, I do appreciate this opportunity. Um, but one thing I just want you to know is, in my understanding, I'm not a pastor and I'm not a preacher, and Samaritan's Purse is not the church. Wherever I go in the future, wherever I partner with, the church. And that's what my dad is doing. Um, I couldn't be more proud of our team that we have surrounded us with us. whether it be Operation Christmas Child, their work with the people groups, um, you know, their work with the seed company, translating the Bible and going out there to gospel around the world in areas that have never heard it. Um, I can't believe what Operation Christmas Child is doing in the part of. That is fun to watch. I can't believe what our projects department, the feeding programs, the food pipelines are a part of. This organization has gotten huge since I was a kid. Um, it's grown leaps and bounds, but the intent of my father is not to grow. That's not what I'm coming here for either. I just want to be faithful, and we're going to go wherever the gospel can be proclaimed, but where God takes us. And that's what I'm excited to be a part of. I have no expectation that I'll ever leave Samaritan's Purse one day. Um, but if God calls and points me in that direction, that's what I'll do. But I'm just here to love and support my father and then help transition that mantle of leadership to whoever he or she is has been ordained by God to carry this organization forward. Samaritan's Purse is in great hands um, because it's the Lord's ministry. He can do with it whatever he pleases. And uh, I'm just fortunate to be one of the many tools and vessels that God's using, um, to share the gospel, I'm um, surrounded by talent.
0: So good. Hey, um, we, we just want to thank you Edward and the whole Samaritan's Purse team. Uh, we honor you and, uh, and we give God all the glory for the victories that have been won and for those that are yet to be won, uh, in the name of Jesus. And we're thankful that we get to share yes. this rich information and experience with so many leaders throughout the world. So on behalf of the Avail team, thank you so much and Godspeed.
1: Well, thank you. And
0: let me know if I can ever do anything for you in the future and
1: uh, your team there praying for y'all and sorry for the uh, comms challenges here in the middle of Alaska.
0: Hey, I think I think we, we were able to capture what we needed to capture. Uh, our, our our editing team will be able to do some post-production work and surgery, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think it was good to Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Edward Graham. What was your favorite insight that was shared today? Let us know on our avail leadership social media. Remember, you can get your free annual subscription at availjournal.com. We also encourage you to join our exclusive Facebook group at availleadershipconnect.com. As always, thank you for connecting with us to grow in the art of leadership here at the avail leadership podcast. Until next time, be blessed. (laughs) Oh <laughs> my